Ladies and gentlemen, Emmy Award winner, Jimmy Fallon. Party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Ow, ow, ow. My back. I just hear myself. Stop the music. Stop it. You can edit all this out. Ow, help me, Neil. Don't just stare at a human like this. Oh, roll the nominees, roll the nominees, just roll them. Good morning, Hope Ames. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here. I'm so glad that we get to worship together this morning. Uh, I'm going to get to why I showed you that clip in just a second. But before we do, I just want to say I'm just so thrilled to be a part of this church. I'm so excited about all the wonderful things that are happening. You heard about the Power Life Retreat. Way to go, students. So happy that you're here and back and all that stuff. I think they had a lot of fun. That's good. So grateful for our Cairo students who are helping lead worship today and, and, and make everything happen. We're so grateful for that. Uh, this is an intergenerational church. Our 50-plus group met on Friday night. I saw a video from it. It looks like a blast. If any 50-plus people were there, give me a hoot. Come on. Yeah, come on. That was fun. Uh, we got an alpha class that's been meeting. That's been a blast. We've got hope groups that have been meeting and, and lots of exciting things happening around this church. And, and it's just really wonderful to be a part of it. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here. So glad. I'm really excited also because we're starting a new sermon series this week. We're kicking off the, the season of Lent. Lent is the season that leads up to Easter. We're preparing our hearts to celebrate the victory that Jesus won over death for all of us. And throughout this season of Lent this year, we are going into a series called A Deeper Walk with Jesus. We're removing the things that are distracting our hearts from walking closely with Jesus. We're going to walk closer and closer. We're going to go deeper, fall deeper in love with God who loves us dearly. And, uh, and sometimes when we talk about going deeper, sometimes it doesn't feel great because we think about like hitting the ground and, and that's not awesome. You, you saw that in the opening clip this morning. Jimmy Fallon, J uh, I messed it up. Jimmy Fallon was Jimmy Fallon. Eh? Can, I get, can I get some for that? Uh, I thought about that for 30 minutes last night. Yeah. Anyway, it, you ever notice something about falling? It's, it's funny to watch somebody else fall. I mean, it's only they're not like extremely physically hurt. That's serious. But, but it's, it's sometimes funny to watch somebody else fall. And falling is, is hilarious until it happens to you. Then it's not so funny. We've all fallen before. Everybody falls down at one point or another. Have you ever watched somebody fall? There are lots of different kinds of ways to fall. For example, I was thinking about it when I was writing the sermon this week. Okay, how do different types of people fall? And I thought, how do tall people fall? You ever watch a basketball game where really tall people fall? I feel like they always, they, they do this, ready? They fall and their legs just straight up. I, like, I'm serious. Pay attention to the next basketball game you watch. They fall and legs just straight up in the air. Just to remind you, I'm still tall, right? Now, you've got shorter people who are more familiar with the ground. And they fall, and it's, they're right back up. They're a cobra, ready to go. There's also the more destructive falling, right? So there's the falling where it's, I'm going to fight this. I'm a faller fighter, right? But in the process of fighting falling, I'm actually fighting the world around me. And so they're, huh, 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 huh. and then I'm not going to knock this over because that would be very dangerous. Whoosh, and you're knocking everything absolutely around you. And then, of course, you fall, right? 
Does anybody think this is funny yet? Right? It's fun to watch somebody else fall. There's also the, this can, like, it can always get worse fall, right? It's the, I stubbed my toe. Ow. Oh, that hurts. I hit my head on something. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, here we go, right? I fall. Has anybody ever missed a step? I'm getting out of breath. Anybody ever missed a step on the stair? You're coming down, and like, you know your house. There's no reason. And all of a sudden, you know? Like, it's just, and like, and you see your family member do it, and it's funny, but then it happens to you. You ever have that feeling when you're walking down the stairs and you think you're done with the steps? But there's one more step, and you're like, oh, here we go. <laughs> right? It's just like, it's impossible to avoid falling. The point that I'm trying to make, and I do have a point. Man, I should have been a gymnast. I think my favorite fallers are the superhero fallers. You know, like, they just look like they're born for it, ready to go. There are a lot of different ways to fall, but the point is, however you fall, we all fall. And when you're the one who falls, suddenly it's not so funny. People notice you, but for the wrong reason. They're laughing at you. Everyone's looking at you, and yet you feel isolated and alone. When we fall, we feel alone. People see us, but for the wrong reasons. And it's, it's embarrassing. We feel lonely. We feel scared. Now, of course, I'm talking about something maybe a little deeper than just falling on your rear in a funny way. I've had those experiences in my life. I really have. One of the first weddings I ever officiated, I was wearing a gray suit. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the couple, I could really use a water right now. I'm not going to lie. If, they, if some, my water bottle is backstage, I'll totally take it. Thank you. So the, uh, the couple had, got, had rented a suit for me. It was gray and all that stuff. And, and it was a spring day, and some of the snow had been melting. And so the ground was really soft and mushy. And before the wedding, we were playing catch, right? We just had, like, somebody had a football. We're throwing it back and forth. I jump, and I fall back. And immediately, what do you think I felt? I felt the water just seeping through my pants. It was a horrible feeling. And I'm the pastor of this thing. The groom walks, you know, the family down the aisle. Then the groom comes back and gets me. And as we're walking, everybody sees me, and I'm just, oh. And people are laughing. And I felt alone. I was around a lot of people, but because of my fall, I, I felt alone. And I felt embarrassed. As Christians, we know what it's like to fall. And so as followers of Jesus, Abby, thank you. I love you so much. She's the best. This is yours, right? <laughs> oh. As Christians, we know what it's like to fall. And so as followers of Jesus, we know that God doesn't expect that we'll never fall, that we won't mess up, that we won't end up with a stain on the back of our pants. But God does expect us to not join the mocking crowd, the chorus that makes people feel isolated and alone. In Romans chapter 3, it says, Everyone sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us now, in some ways, that's refreshing and helpful because misery loves company, they say, right? And when it comes to falling, we've had company for a long time. You heard the introduction to it in our reading this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 2. 
I'd like to pull it back just a little bit further. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, and it says that God's done with creation. So creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it was completed. Everything was done. The word there for completed is kala. Say kala. And it literally means done. It means finished, quite literally. Finished. Turn to the person next to you and say, finished. It's finished. God looked at the world and said, no one has to add anything. No one needs to remove anything. It's done and it's good. In fact, God had just finished creating humanity and God said, now it's very good. And so maybe you're thinking, I have to add something to myself for this place to be complete, for my life to feel finished. No, you don't. And maybe on our darkest days, we feel like the world would be better without us. No, it wouldn't. God said, I'm done now. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. It is complete. And then God actually steps into the creation. It says that he's like a gardener. He's creating this place called Eden. Maybe you've heard of it before. And then God gives humanity this incredible opportunity. God puts humanity at the top of creation. He says, you're my favorite, and I want you to be like me. I don't want you to be me. You can't be me, but I want you to be like me. And God, who is this gardener over Eden, says to humanity, he says, uh, he, he placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, and he has just one simple rule. Just one simple rule. Like, there's an expectation, there's a standard to meet. It's really simple, and yet sometimes the simplest standards are the hardest ones to meet. Maybe you've read this command in the Bible before. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. It's one of the most famous stories ever told. And yet it's one of the stories that we look past. Maybe the last time you actually really looked into this story was when you were like 12 years old. Maybe it's just Sunday school for you. But I invite you to look deeper and see yourself in this story. God says to the man, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that fruit, you are sure to die. Like it's a really, really simple command. And it's following what the entire Bible says about how God wants us to live. God says the world is complete. God said it is done. It is good. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to take away anything. God has set a standard, as it says in Romans chapter 3. But when we fall, it means that we've fallen short of the standard. That's what sin means. And for a long time, people have been falling short of the standard. The standard that God said was, I want you to listen to me about this tree. Obey me about this tree. And maybe you read this and you think, that's the weirdest I mean, of all the things God could have commanded the man to do, like not eat the fruit from that one tree, is that really it? But do you know what the weirdest thing about this command is? God never said why. Isn't that odd? God says, don't eat from the tree, and the only insinuation that he has for it, for why you shouldn't eat from the tree, is because he's God, and you should listen to God when God is God. God is God, listen to God. And he doesn't say why. Now put yourself in the story. Later, this man is going to be named Adam. Adam literally means humanity. Eve means of humanity. You are involved in this story. We're a part of this. When I don't get an answer back on the whys of my life, because I ask God why a lot, and when I don't get an answer back, I get frustrated, do you? And what do we do when we don't get the why back, right? If I don't get the why back, the question changes just a little bit. If God's not answering my why, I start to ask, well, then why should I be a part of it? Why should I do it? If I don't know, then why should I do it? God, explain it to me. 
But I have a question. What good would it have done Adam? What good would it have done the man to know everything that God knew? Listen, for a relationship with God, it does not require you to know everything that God knows, but it does require us to trust God. When God invites us into a relationship with God, God is not saying, you're going to control me. And God's also not saying, I'm going to control you because that's not a healthier relationship. A healthier relationship requires trust. And God says, I want you to trust me. I'm not going to tell you why I do everything that I do. I'm not going to tell you why I ask you to do everything that you do. But you can trust this, as it says in Romans chapter 8, everything that I do in the good situations and in the bad situations that life throws your way, I am working for your benefit. You don't try to control God, but we have the opportunity to trust God. I think a lot of times when we think about our faith, we think about it as an equation, right? God plus me equals blank, right? If I have God in my life, then I'll get the thing that I want. But when we set up our life like this, when we set up our faith like this, God is not our God, is he? What's our God? Our God is whatever comes after the if. Our God is whatever comes after the God plus me equals. But the truth is, is that our faith should really help us understand this. God and me together is greater than anything. Anything that I think that I want in this world, it might be really good stuff, and it does not have to be bad stuff. But anything, anything does not amount to a trusting and loving relationship with God. I mean, just think about it. What if God really had told Adam, hey, here's everything that I'm going to do. Here's the reason why. Don't eat the fruit from that tree because if you do, sin and everything that comes with it, like sickness, violence, disease, jealousy, envy, payback, vengeance, all that, all of it will enter the world. I mean, I mean my goodness, if, if Adam was sensible at all, he might say, did it just get dark in here? Okay. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Listen to the word of the Lord. All right. <laughs> That was so weird. <laughs> like, I mean, really, if the man had heard everything that God knew, sure, he might have stopped, right? But he, would, but he wouldn't have been stopping out of trust. Do you listen to God because God's commands are conveniently understandable to us? Because God's commands conveniently fit our agendas, what we think we want out of life? Or do you listen to God because you trust him? A healthier relationship does not include control. A healthier relationship includes trust. And that's what God is inviting us into. I don't want you to listen to me because you know everything. I mean, my goodness, we did learn a lot after Adam and Eve bit into the fruit, right? We learned a lot about evil, and there are a lot of things about evil that God knew about evil that we didn't want to know about evil, but now we're facing because of the contributions that we make to the brokenness in this world. Like sometimes, like, no, it didn't work out. And listen, if you do trust God, it does not mean that you will know everything in the world, but it does mean that you can have peace in everything that the world throws your way because you know the maker of everything in the world. You can have that kind of trust. You can have that kind of peace. Listen to that God. Think about it. What's better, to have all the answers in life or to have a trusting relationship? Has anybody here ever done an escape room? Escape rooms are this kind of crazy thing. An escape room is basically like a lawsuit waiting to happen because they lock you in a room and they say, all right, find your way out through a bunch of different clues. 
We had a staff development day with all the campuses of Hope down in West Des Moines this week. And our Hope Ames team, we did an escape room. And these are some pictures from it. They're kind of hard to tell because it was dark and scary in there. On the left, you've got some lasers that we had to go through. If it was a little bit brighter, you could see that I'm running into a laser. Holden is literally crawling underneath of me, uh, our production guy. In the middle there, we've got Pete and Carrie just trying on the props that are in the room. And then there's Pete on the far right really getting into the game and feeling like, you should try absolutely everything out. I loved how into this our team got. Like, like we really bonded over this, and we were close before, but we got even closer. But one thing that we really united and bonded over is that we stunk. Like, we were really bad. I went into this thinking, okay, like, Hope Waukee got 36 minutes. Cool. 35 minutes in, we hadn't solved one clue. And as we're trying to figure out the first clue, we realize, OK, it seems like we have to set the clock to a right time, and that's going to unlock something in the room. This is the way that the escape room works. You get a clue, you get another clue, you get another clue, and eventually the door just pops open, and, and you're free. I mean, <laughs> we pay for this, right? You know. <laughs> and as we can't figure it out, this voice comes over the intercom, which I didn't know was going to happen, so it kind of freaked me out. And he's trying to like, give us some dignity, he goes, Reevaluate the time. I'm like, okay, I guess we're choosing the wrong time. We were like going with 1.30. The clock needs to say 1.30. And then like, we still weren't getting it. And he comes on again and he goes, try a different time. <laughs> we, we try again. And then he comes on, try two o'clock. <laughs> like we still weren't getting it. But as soon as he spoke, we listened to him. And I wasn't about to waste time asking why. I knew that this guy made the room and he knew how to get out. He knew what he was doing. Later on, when a zombie pops out of the corner and freaks us out out of nowhere, we're paralyzed for like 10 minutes. We don't know what to do, right? We're absolutely just terrified in our fear. And we, didn't, we couldn't find another clue. And he comes on, he says, use the black light. I'm like, what black light? The black light's in the closet room. Go ahead and look at the wall. It's shining a map. <laughs> And again, what if I would have been like, but why? Why should I listen to you? Listen to the voice, right? <laughs> like together, we, we needed to listen to that voice. Because that voice made the room, and that voice knew what it was talking about. Like, don't get me wrong, the whys in life are important to figure out, especially the why you exist. And God gives you that. The why you exist, because God looked at you and said, you're good. Why do you exist? Because God likes you. Why do you exist? Because God likes to enjoy you. Why do you exist? Because God said that the world was not complete until you were in it. You know why you exist, but sometimes we don't know why we do everything that we're supposed to do. But we do know that the one who tells us to do it loves us and cares for us. He says, I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to feel alone. God's love is what keeps us connected to that. God's love is what keeps us in connection, in trust with God. God's love is what helps us understand that a relationship with him, a trusting relationship with him, not, ones that, not one that is just a means to an end to another sort of God that will just take and replace the real God with. But no, God's love is the thing that really keeps us in a trusting relationship with him. And so when temptation comes our way, what do you think the devil is, is going to try to attack? The devil will try to, attract, uh, try to attack our trust. Now, I don't think that it's realistic for any of us to think that we're going to hear a sermon on sin and falling and think that we'll walk out of here and this week you're going to have a perfect week. I have bad news for you. For Lent, you cannot give up sinning, right? Like, it's just not going to work. At the same time, you cannot give up trying too, right? Like, 
you, you need to do that too. But I do think that it might be helpful if we talk about, like, what's the truth about evil? Like, what does evil try to do to us? How does evil try to tempt us? Now, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it does not actually name the devil, but there's a serpent. If you haven't listened to it, listen to Haley Shepard's sermon from Wednesday night at our Ash Wednesday service. It's on our podcast. Was anybody there and heard that sermon? Wasn't that awesome? Praise God for Haley. She crushed it. Man. And so if you kind of want to like an in-depth, really deep understanding of some of like the play-by-play of what's happening, please listen to that. But I want you to know this, is that the devil's present and active in that because the devil is, favor, is in favor of evil. And in this story, we're seeing evil tempt Adam and Eve, coming after Adam and Eve, attacking their trust in God. So how does evil get at us? There are three truths about evil that we find in, in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The first one is this, evil lies. For one, evil shows up in the form of what's called a serpent. And so like, maybe let that be a play on words, but let, uh, help that, uh, allow that to help you understand a little bit better. Evil like lies sometimes in the thick of the grass and we don't notice it, but also... Evil, evil just deliberately lies to us. I mean, take a look at what happens in the story. When the serpent approaches Adam and Eve, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, okay, that's a lie. You won't die? That's a lie. Evil will lie to us. Temptation lies to us. Temptation makes us think you have to have that thing in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied. Now let me say this. It's not a sin to be tempted. When temptation turns into a sin is when we adopt that temptation as truth. I have to have that. The devil comes in, he's mocking, he's laughing at us, he's making us feel isolated, right? Did God really say that? Is there any word more condescending than really? Has anybody ever looked at you and gone, really? I remember within like a couple of months when I moved to Ames, I was in Hy-Vee one day, and I was looking at, I think I was holding like a, like a red sauce cup thing, and what do you think happened? I, I dropped it, right? Meanwhile, there's a guy who's stocking the shelves, and he looks over at me and goes, really? <laughs> and it's just burned in my brain every single time I go into that, into that aisle. I'm like, where's the guy, you know? It's condescending. So I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be the one who's clueless. Temptation lies to us. It makes us think that it's telling the truth, but it's not. And you know that. God never said you couldn't eat from any of the trees. But God did have a command about one of the trees. So there's the first thing, evil lies. The second thing is that evil attacks God's character. Notice this. Nowhere in the story does the serpent ever say to Adam or Eve, hey, God's not real. Instead, it says this, God knows that your eyes will be opened if you eat that fruit, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The serpent is not trying to make you think that God doesn't exist. The serpent just simply doesn't want you to think that God cares about you. Serpent does not care if you believe in God or not. The serpent just wants you to believe that God doesn't care about you. It's a lie, and it attacks God's character. What is the temptation that faces us? The temptation that faces us is that God doesn't know what's best for me. It's that God's playing games with me. It's that God's toying with me. It's that God's just giving me commands just to give me the commands. That God's treating me like a puppet and I just need to detach. I need to find my own identity. I need to be myself. No, God gave you your identity and it's the greatest title you could ever have. You are a child of the living God. You live forever in royalty with the king of the universe. That is your identity. 
But the serpent tries to tell us that that's a bad God. It's a lie, and it deliberately attacks the character of God. And then it makes us feel like we're alone. If God doesn't love me, if God doesn't care about me, but God put me here, who else is here to help me? This is the third ploy of evil. Evil says, I'm alone. I said that, I've used that carefully there, I am alone. Because when I want you to read that, I'm asking, have you ever felt alone? Like, sometimes it's easy to hear sermons about, what's for the person next to me. Sometimes we're a little bit too eager, like, are you listening, sweetie? You know, like, no, this is for us. That was not me saying that to Abby. Abby needs to say that to me more often, right? Love you. Evil says, I'm alone. You know what it's like to feel alone. You know what it's like to be in a crowd but feel isolated. Everybody sees you but for the wrong reasons. And evil does that to us. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, after they eat from the fruit at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What are they doing? They're taking control. Who God made me to be is not enough and it's not good. And so I need to protect myself because God has left me here. I have to do the things that God tells me not to do because God left me. What am I supposed to do? Has anybody ever felt like that before? You ever felt alone? You ever felt lost? Do you remember those feelings when you were a kid when you did get lost, maybe accidentally? I remember the first time I got lost, it was in Walmart and I wandered away from my mom's cart and I ended up in an aisle and I was terrified. I was so scared. And I felt alone, and in my six-year-old brain, I'm already starting to think things. I'm going to have to fend for myself. I'm going to have to get an apartment and a part-time job. It's time. I'm grown up now. This is what the world looks like, Danny. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. When we feel alone like God has abandoned us, what are we doing? What does it really mean for us today to cover ourselves with fig leaves? It's I have to fend for myself because God won't do it. And it's a lie of evil. When Adam and Eve are covering themselves out of shame from their nakedness, what are they covering? And I, oh, that was awkward. But like, what, like deep, like really, what is shame? Shame is saying, I'm bad. I'm no good. It's a lie because God says you're good. What am I trying to cover up? Sometimes when I cover myself up, it's because I don't want to come to terms with who I really am, right? I don't want to see it. But I would say a lot of the time it's because I don't want the other person in front of me to see it. I have to play God. I have to fend for myself. I have to control their perception of me. I have to make them believe about me what I want to believe about me. Because I'm no good. If I was any good, maybe God wouldn't have left me here. It's a lie of evil. You don't have to buy into it. I notice sometimes I don't trust the people around me with the closest things about me, the, the, the important things about me, the things that I cover up. And why is that? Well, I don't trust them because I know what I'm capable of. I don't trust them because I don't trust myself. You see what sin does? You see what evil tries to do? It breaks down our relationship with God and it breaks down our relationship with the people around us. If you ever wonder, like, okay, is sin, like, really hitting me hard lately? And if you're a human being, you sin. If you're a human being, you fall. But maybe you're wondering, like, okay, is there something in my life that I can't figure out? I think one of the ways that we can figure out, am I, like, living in sin? Am I having a heart? Am I falling? Am I falling short? Am I listening to the lies of evil? 
a really great way to check in on that is, are all of my relationships around me breaking? Sometimes it's not your fault. If someone is hurting you, someone's abusing you, if someone is lying to you, if someone is betraying you, that's not your fault. But if it's simply our love is gone from one another, maybe we're believing the lies of evil. We're falling into the temptation to believe that God's character isn't good, that God's left us alone, and so now we have to fend for ourselves. Evil, sin, it hates God, and it attacks God by attacking us. Like, please hear me on this. Do not give the devil more credit than what he deserves. The devil is not all-knowing. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The devil does not have all the powers of God. The devil will try to make you think that. The devil cannot make you do things. But he'll try to make you think that. I don't know if the devil knows anything about you. I really don't know that. He knows some things about some people because the devil's not like God. The devil doesn't treat people as equals. The devil plays favorites. The devil doesn't care about you. The devil doesn't care about me. The devil cares about hurting God. And when he falls, he's destructive. And he's trying to take people down with him. He's trying to make people fall with him by telling lies. And this is really hard because uh, just because you're here this morning doesn't mean that you haven't fallen into that place, right? Like, if you are feeling any sort of shame right now from this sermon, I need to just stop and tell you that grace is for you. I need to stop and remind you that you are not in a hangout for saints, but you're in a hospital for sinners. I need to remind you that God's grace is for all people. That when Jesus came into the world, the angels announced this is good news of great joy for all people. This is for you. But how many of us do this when we hear God showing up? Genesis chapter 3, God shows up in the garden. and This is actually verse 10. I'm sorry I messed that up. God is showing up in the garden and the man says out to God, I heard you walking, so I hid. You know, it's one thing for me to not want to see the realities about myself. It's another thing for me not to want to let other people see the realities about me. What about when we come in face to face with the perfect God? Like, I really don't want that God to see me. I can fool other people. I might even be able to fool myself. But I can't fool God. So the, the devil tries to get you to hide. You were not meant to hide. You think you're not special? You think you're not important? You think you don't eternally matter? So you've been hiding? Don't let the devil win. You are not meant to hide. You have a safe refuge. Psalm chapter 32, verse 7 says, You are my safe place. You are my refuge. You give me victory. I don't have to hide. You are my refuge. You are my safe place. You are my hiding place. If I'm going to hide anywhere. It's going to be in your presence, God. You protect me from the things that can really touch my soul, that can really hurt me, and the ways that I'm really afraid of. Don't ever ever let the devil lie to you so much that you believe that you have to hide. There are things about you that are so special and so unique that God's going to use them to reach someone that nobody else in this room has been able to reach. You need to know this. There are things about you that you don't want the world to know, but there are also things that the world is missing out on because you're hiding, and we're at a loss for it. 
God says, shine. Jesus said, let your light shine before others. So they may see your good works and praise the Father in heaven. That's what you heard in the baptism this morning. You were made to shine, not to hide. Remember that old song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it? No! Remember that? That was the best part of the song. Hide it under a bushel. No! You have the power to say that with that kind of audacity, that kind of authority. As God says, come out of your hiding. You know, here's the thing. When we get found, there's two experiences of getting found. One is you get found out and you don't like that. And sometimes I think that we hide from God because we don't want to get found out. He's going to find everything out about me. But then there's another kind of found and it just means to be safe. I was lost. I was in danger, but now I'm safe. It was maybe like five or six seconds of me contemplating the rest of my life when I was lost in the, in the Walmart aisle when I realized my mom was chasing after me the entire time. Hey, Danny, I'm here. I see you. I didn't lose you. I was pursuing you. And God sees that humanity is hiding. He asks, where are you? And what an interesting question. I mean, it's God. God had to know. Why is he asking this question? God had to know. Where are you? You're God. You know. You don't have to ask that question. So why is he asking? God's not asking that to find you out. I think God's asking that to give us a sense of dignity. To let us know that he loves us. To let us hear the voice that created us. God says, where are you and what's he doing? When I was in college, my professor... Bill Withers, you, you probably have maybe seen him in like Hope 360 or something. He works for Hope now. I'm like, he was my advisor in college. He's my boss now. It's amazing. But in college, he was my professor. And he used to always tell us, you will probably remember nothing that I lecture you about. But you are going to learn what you discover in this class. Think about like the good counselors in your life. When you receive good counseling, do you receive good counseling when they're lecturing you? When they're telling you what you've done wrong? Or is it good counsel when they're asking questions? I want you to learn this. I know where you are, but do you know where you are? God's not shaming you. God's not finding you out. God's making you safe. And he's saying, I can be your safe place. I don't think that we fully comprehend or we don't at least acknowledge just the absolute length, the distance that God would travel just to speak with us, just to pursue us, just to find us and just to keep us safe. Not to shame us, but to keep us safe. The first prophecy in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And maybe we read over and we don't really understand it, but, but God's saying this to the serpent. There's going to be tension now in your life. There will be tension now in your existence. You mess with my loved ones. You get me. It says to the serpent, I will have a descendant. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, you will try to hurt him. You will get at his heel. But he'll strike your head. It's violent. It's kind of shocking. It's kind of jarring. But when you love someone, you're vulnerable to a rage, aren't you? God loves you. God is vulnerable. He makes himself vulnerable to a rage against the things that would hurt you. God doesn't rage against you. God rages against the things that would hurt you. God rages against things that would make you stumble, that would make you fall. God rages against those things. If you read the entirety of the Bible, you start to see that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The he, it's talking about Jesus. This descendant of God, it's God's son. It's, it's Jesus. And what did Jesus do? 
Did Jesus show up in her life and say, here's everything that you've done wrong? Do you remember the most, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. Do you know the verse after that? Do you know what Jesus said right after he said that? He said, I came into this world not to judge the world, but to save it. Jesus hasn't come and show up to condemn you, to say, look at what you've done. He says, look what I've done. Have you ever been really embarrassed because people keep on pointing back to that one thing that you did and they just won't let it go? They keep on bringing it up. Do you remember when you really screwed up? It's a terrible feeling. When Jesus comes into the world, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, hey, humanity, all of you, look at the tree that you messed up. You should be ashamed of yourself. In one rule, you can eat from anything, but just not that one. Look at that tree. You blew it. Look at the tree. Jesus doesn't talk about what you've done. He talks about what he's done. See, for Adam and Eve, God said, obey me about this tree and you'll live. But then Jesus had a tree of his own. And when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was arrested and betrayed, he is sweating blood over this tree. Because his father is saying to him, obey me about this tree and you'll die. Jesus doesn't come in and say, look at the tree in the garden that you messed up. He says, look at the tree that I hung on. I hung on a tree of death so you could eat from the tree of life. He is your safe place. He is your hiding place. And when you've fallen and haven't completed the tasks, the things, done the events, gone to the places that you've always wanted to, Jesus doesn't wait for you to accomplish those things to be ready for his presence. The end of creating, God said, it's done, it's complete, it is finished, it is good. And Jesus on the cross extended arms. He says, it's finished. He did it again. Do you believe he's still doing it again for you? His tree of life is still feeding us. You don't have to hide. He's your safe place. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Believe the truth that God proclaims for you over, over all creation through his son. You want to know how much I love you? Look from the east to the west. That's how far I've separated your sins. You can't comprehend it. East from the west. I mean, how far is that? It's getting close to explaining how far God would travel to tell us the truth. And the truth is this. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to take away anything for God to say it's complete and it's good. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to take away anything. You don't have to pretend like you didn't fall for God to say, eat from my tree of life. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to take anything away for God to stop talking about what you've done. God today says, look at what I've done. When the temptation comes your way and says, start to believe me as the truth, you say, no, I am a child of the one true God who loved me and died for me and doesn't condemn me, but he saves me. And he says, that's finished, and no one 
No one will change it. You are safe with him and no one will change that. We're going to do something really fun right now because it's been a, it's been a long time. Um, we haven't had communion where we've been able to come down the aisles in a... In four days. It will, no, I think it's like two years ago from this weekend. That's crazy. Wow. We're going to take communion, and when we do it, we're, we're going to come forward, and we're going to receive the bread. Our, uh, our ushers and, and our servers are going to be sanitized, and um, they'll hand you a wafer, and then they'll have uh, grape juice or wine um, in the plates. So you just take one of those and put your cup in the uh, wastebasket on your way out, on your way back to your seats. Those are the instructions, but... Now hear Jesus' invitation. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body and it's given for you. And when you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I've done, Jesus reminds us. Then again, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. And when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray the words that Jesus taught us. They'll be on the screen behind me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ushers will guide you down to the aisles to your nearest station. Again, they'll hand you a wafer. Then you can take a cup from the, uh, from the grape juice and wine tray, and you can leave your, uh, your uh, cup in the wastebasket on the way back to your seat. But the most important instruction I can give you is this. Jesus Christ himself welcomes you to his table, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done and what he's doing in you. You are safe with him. He's your hiding place. He calls you good. Hear those words and rejoice and dine with him. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song as we enjoy communion together.